The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning. I am so thankful that we get to continue on this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians together. And in our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to be looking at the first nine verses. So I, I would like to just read this together as a church. Uh, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I, my, as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, amen. I know some of you right now, I feel the love. You're sitting in your chair just thankful you're not the guy up here who's about to talk about that, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, church, let's go to the Lord and let's pray that he would direct us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, our desire is to hear from you. Help us, Lord, to approach your word faithfully, not reading into it what we want to see, not pulling out of it what we want to find. Instead, Lord, our prayer is that you would speak through your word, that we would listen through your spirit, and that we would apply your word to our lives for your glory. And above all, Lord, that we would grow in our affection for Jesus Christ this morning. Would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, if you have your Bibles, you can find your place with me there if you haven't already. Uh, while you're getting there, I, I believe that we have all seen the confusion of our culture in regard to sexuality, um, confusion about gender, about marriage. I think we've all seen, as we've talked about, we are in the middle of a sexual revolution uh, where things are changing rapidly before our eyes. Uh, global and national conversations are taking place right now regarding uh, sexuality that are absolutely just astounding. 
Uh, we, here's a good way to think of this. If I were to grab someone from 1984, 1994, 2004, even 2014, and I were to bring to them our newspaper, they would not believe it. This has moved so quickly. The, the questions and the answers that our community, our culture, our nation, our globe are wrestling with are just, they, they, they blow our mind how fast this revolution is moving. And so in the wake of that, here's what we see. In the wake of this, um, there is a crazy amount of confusion that just happens as things move so, so quickly. Uh, we see confusion out there. And by out there, I mean outside of the church. As our community wrestles with these things, as they grapple, as they come to grips with this. And at the same time, we see the confusion in here. And by in here, I mean in the church. As, as, as we as the church are being called into question. As we're being called into question and as we are wrestling with, now how should we respond in a way that is faithful and true and yet loving? How on earth are we supposed to respond? What does God actually say about these things? And better yet, how does God intend us to speak to these things? And here's why I say this. Um, it's important for the church to begin to talk about these things because the time is now for us as the church to dig in deeper, for us as the church to get on our knees in prayer, to grow in our understanding and our not, to come to Christ and to honestly ask, God, would you speak and tell me your heart on these things and how to respond? In a, in a culture that is struggling with, with so much confusion, we get to be the church who stands and looks out with compassion and confidence and love, knowing that God has revealed what is good, and we can stand on it through any cultural storm. And in the same way, that is the, the aim of our text this morning. Again, 1 Corinthians is so incredibly applicable. That is our aim. And so we see in, in the end of chapter six, Paul has this, is calling this church. By the way, the church in Corinth lived and they ministered in a sex-driven culture. That was their world. And Paul comes to them and calls them. He says, flee. If you look, verse 18, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Run. Get out of there. That is his call to this church. And that theme is going to continue on for us in our text in chapter 7 this morning. Because directly out of that urge um, to flee, right, that, that charge to flee, Paul now is going to open up a little Q&A. In chapter 7. So what we're going to see is it appears that people were wrestling with these things. And, and Paul had been receiving some questions from this church. People wondering, you know, Paul, we hear what you're saying about sexual immorality. Um, wouldn't it be better for us just to book it the other way? To just give up sex altogether. Wouldn't that be better? And listen to verse 1. 
Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, meaning Q&A here, that was the question submitted. Paul, uh, this is what they said. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So this is what the, the people of Corinth had put before Paul. So responding again to this question, they see the corruption. They live in a culture that is just prostitution, all kinds of stuff, just rampant. And they see this, and so they want to swing that pendulum the other way, run the opposite way from hedonism to absolute abstinence. Like, it's good not even to go there, is what they pose before Paul. But here, at the heart of this of this statement is, is a failure to misunderstand the grace and the gift of God. And so, follow me as we set the stage here. Sex was given by God as a gift to men, and he didn't have to, men and women, sorry. Um, <laughs> Got to have some humor this morning, right? He didn't have to create it, Amen. He didn't have to do it, but he did as a gift, and it is a beautiful gift in the context of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman together in marriage, and in this context, it is pure, it is intimate, it is beautiful, and it is exactly what God has created it to be. Then, sin enters the picture. Sin enters the picture and takes that good, that perfect gift takes it, that pure gift given by God for us to enjoy and to bring him glory, takes that gift, cheapens it, distorts it, robs it of its beauty, and replaces what once was beautiful and pure, replaces it with shame, guilt, and pain. It's removed from the covenant of marriage, and then it is mass-reproduced, Sin out to the masses, it cheapened. Sin takes sin, uses it for its own agenda, takes what was once good, uses it for evil, and, and now many in the church in Corinth are seeing this. And they say, no, 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 we're gonna run the other way, we're gonna swing this pendulum the other way. But the problem with that solution, the problem is that you have just thrown out God's great gift to marriage in order that it may thrive. They just threw that out, saying it's not good to have this gift. In a sense, this gift is not good. And so Paul here, correcting their thinking, says, no, this is a good gift. It is good to use this good gift appropriately. And so here's what he is going to say. Here's how he responds. Verse 2, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. So here, Paul is acknowledging, hey, I know this temptation you have to sexual immorality. I, I, I know that your flesh is at war within you. I, I see this. I know this. I know that you have this tendency to want to take God's good gift and you want to misuse it. I know that, but instead of ignoring and instead of throwing out this good gift, Paul instead brings the gift back into the context of marriage to use it well for the glory of God. To put this bluntly, husband, 
satisfy your sexual desires with your wife exclusively. Wives, satisfy your sexual desire with your husband exclusively. And by doing this, you are using God's good gift well for the glory of God. You're bringing him honor. You know, Paul's going to elaborate on this in the following verses. And I want us to be really careful. Really careful here. Um, Most lies, at least the good ones, are like 98% true. Most lies uh, begin with a truth that has been misused or misapplied or misrepresented and taken out of context. Uh, What we are about to read has been used by far too many to justify abuse. Uh, this misuse, this misapplication of this text. It's not only wrong, but it is a lie. It is abusive. And more importantly, most importantly, it cannot stand up next to the context of the whole of Scripture. And let me show you what what I mean. As we read what we are about to read, I want us to do so doing three things. One, we need to understand the immediate context. Two, we need to understand this in the context of the scripture as a whole. And three, let me just be honest, we need to read this with a little common sense. All right? Understanding that, listen to what Paul says in verse four. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, many People, unfortunately, primarily men, have used this passage in order to justify taking an inappropriate position over them, kind of lording over them, claiming that their wives should be at their beckoning call. I'm sure that wives have used it that way before, but most likely, most often, this is a a text that is used by, by men. And before I tell you how crazy and ridiculous that idea is, I want us to make a couple observations from this, okay? Uh, The first observation that we need to notice is that this is a two-way street. What I mean by that is this is mutual authority. Mutual authority, meaning men, if you want to claim that you have full ownership and lordship over your wife lording over her, if that's where you're going, you need to understand that she has every right to claim just as much over you. This is a two-way mutual authority, mutual submission, and as we will see in all actuality, mutual love that's on display here. In other words, if you use this passage to justify um, lording over another one, if you misuse the truth... It falls apart when you put it in its context. I want to encourage us to think about this text as mutual submission and mutual authority in the context of marriage. What I mean by that, you could read this text and come away thinking, oh, they need to listen to me and they need to submit to me. Or you could come away from this text, reading this text, thinking they need me and I want to submit to them for their good, I want to give myself for them, to them for their glory, for their good, and ultimately for my good as well. 
Notice the second thing. I want us to notice the immediate context here. Uh, Paul just told the Corinthian people in verse 18 of chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. It, flee from this. And now Paul is, is giving them an effective way to do that. In other words, flee from sexual immorality. And if you are married, a really effective way to do that, hear me, Flee from sexual immorality by fleeing directly to your spouse. This is the heart of, I mean, that's profound, isn't it? This is the heart of, of what Paul is saying. He's saying, flee from this. Take this seriously in one way that you can do this well in the context of marriage is to flee directly to your spouse. Flee directly to them. Now, the third thing I want us to notice here is the bigger picture. I want us to think about the greater context of this passage. Because in all honesty, if you take this scripture out of its context and you come away thinking that this is like Paul's license for you to power play your spouse. Like if you, if you come away thinking that, right? When you zoom out, you come into some problems, because what you find is that interpretation of this passage when you zoom out and you think of texts like Ephesians 5 that calls for this mutual submission and love together in marriage, you, fall that you're in, you find that your interpretation of, of 1 Corinthians 7 falls apart. How about this one? When you zoom out and you read texts like Philippians, my goodness, calling for just putting the needs of each other above our own, counting them as more significant than ourselves. When you read that, and then you put it next to the misinterpretation of, of chapter 7, it falls apart. We have to bring this back into the context of Scripture. The reality is that the context and the content of this Scripture simply does not allow us to use this as a tool of abuse. we got to bring it out. Here is the point, and I, we're going to elaborate on this point all morning, okay? So we'll start with the first part of it, and that is this. God's design for human sexuality is fidelity in marriage. We'll stop it there. We'll continue, but we're going to unpack this. God's design for human sexuality is fidelity in marriage, that a husband and wife can flee from sexual immorality, enjoy the good gift that God has given them, and of marriage and sex within marriage, that they can flee together and have a faithful marriage. Now, to this end, Paul continues. Verse five, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time uh, that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul says, look, don't deprive one another. Right off the bat, I want us to notice the outward focus of just that statement. Paul doesn't, for example, say, hey, don't you deprive yourself he says, don't deprive one another. It's an outward focus as though your satisfaction shouldn't be your only concern. He says, don't deprive one another because your spouse's satisfaction should be a driving concern for you. So Paul says, do not deprive one another. And if you do, Paul gives two qualifications. And they're pretty easy to see in the text. One is that it's temporal, right? It's, not, it's for a limited time, not a lifetime right? So that's the first thing. Number two is it's purposeful. It's for the purpose of devotion 
and prayer. And then what does Paul do? He urges the couple to come back together. And why does he urge them to do this? Remember, he's, he's telling us we need to flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run, go. So Paul says, come back. And why does he say that? So that Satan does not have the ground to tempt you or your spouse. Again, we got to remember our context. Dealing with sexual immorality and fleeing from it um, so that Satan doesn't tempt you or your spouse. Now, we have to get this into our minds. Uh, Paul is not saying here that married couples need to be uh, engaging in sexual relations all the time, never breaking, in order to be glorifying God. That's absurd. This is not the goal of what Paul is saying here. We've missed the point again. What Paul is doing here is urging us to flee from sexual immorality and sexual temptation. And he's giving us a way, an effective way for couples in marriage to do that. He urges couples, do not deprive each other. Why? So that Satan doesn't have the ground to tempt you. So that Satan doesn't have the ground, so that you will not fall into sexual immorality. In other words, do this so that you can flee well. Do this so that you can flee well. Now, I want to, again, be very careful for how we apply these truths to our lives. I know that marriages are often, all the time, I'm not even going to say often, all the time complex, they are, they are complex. They can be complicated. In most, I said most, all issues require much prayer, careful attention. It requires us to come. I mean, we're dealing with two sinners here, right? We get that. We know that. So understanding this, we know this is a generality given to the church as a way that we can honor the Lord, right? Um, but hear me, despite all that, all of us know this. All of us know that the temptation towards sexual immorality does not end after we get married. You don't have to amen out loud, but just go, hmm, all right? <laughs> sexual temptation does not end after we get married. Therefore, we must, we must, we must be very intentional and active as we flee from sexual temptation in our marriage, and we are absolutely foolish if we think we are above this. We are absolutely foolish if we think that our relationship is above this. Now, I wanna talk directly to married couples here this, this morning, and um, singles, do not feel left out because Paul is coming for you, all right? So just hang with me for a second. Uh, Paul's going to get to you. But hear me, married couples this morning, regardless of who you are, how long you've been married, how healthy your marriage is, regardless of all that, we must understand together, this text that we just read is not a weapon to be used against one another as a tool of some kind of selfish abuse to your spouse. This text is meant to be a reminder to love your spouse well, to selflessly protect your marriage from any attacks of, of sexual immorality, to flee together, faithfully flee together from sexual immorality in your marriage, that you might become very good at fleeing together. For those of you who are married, God's perfect design and plan for your life is to be faithful to your spouse. 
That is his perfect plan for your life, and I plea with you to do everything in your power to protect your marriage. Do everything that you possibly can to safeguard your marriage. Give yourself to this fully and completely, because God has given this incredible gift of sex in your relationship. He has given this to you, and Satan wants nothing more than to take that gift, to pollute it, to distort it, and to use it for an instrument of evil and destruction for your marriage, to exchange the purity and the beauty for shame and pain and guilt. Married friends, you have a target on your back. You have a target on your back, and Paul reminds us Satan is the tempter, and we have to understand Satan is really good at what he does. He's been about this whole tempting thing for longer than you've been married, longer than you've been walking this earth. He is good at what he does. And I say this not to create fear in you. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. I say this to help us create an awareness. To help us create an awareness. We cannot afford to be ignorant of this attack anymore. Too many marriages have been blindsided and destroyed because of this. By the grace of God, we must become more effective at fleeing from sexual immorality in our marriages. Imagine, church, if more of us would begin having these conversations in our marriage. Imagine, church, if more of us would begin to have these kind of conversations within our marriage earlier. I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of couples that I speak with, whether it just be in conversation, premarital, marital, whatever, where, where we're talking to these couples who have never once talked about boundaries in their marriage because they love each other. Why would we talk about that? Who have never once sat down and, and talked about safeguards that they can put in place in their, in their marriage. We must become more intentional and imagine if we did we must begin to think more about the good of our spouse in this battle. That men, men, that we would put our wives' needs before our own. That, that, that we may help her fight temptation. That we may help her grow in Christ. Wives, that you would put your husband's needs before your own, that he may be strengthened in Christ, that he may fight temptation continually in his walk with the Lord. The temptation in our lives and in our culture is, is great. And so, so, married friends, what are you doing to flee? What are you doing to flee? What specifically are you doing to flee from sexual immorality in your life? You should have an answer, and it shouldn't be vague. What are you doing to protect your marriage and love your spouse well? Um, someday, or sometime today, if possible, married couples here, I encourage you to sit down with your spouse. Just sit down. Whenever you get a free moment, sit down and just talk and ask the question, how are we doing? How are we doing this? Ask the question, how can we better flee from sexual temptation together? How can we do it? What can we do to safeguard? This marriage means more to me than anything earthly. So what can we do to safeguard this and protect it? And if you're here and if you need help, please, 
please, this is, in, this is important. Come, talk to one of your pastors, talk to your community group leader. We'd love to pray with you, help in any way we can but then also to connect you with some incredible resources because you have a target on your back and this is worth the fight. We cannot take it lightly. Now, as I promised, I don't want you singles to feel left out. So let's turn to what Paul says here. He hasn't forgotten about you. In fact, he kind of celebrates you. All right, so look at verse six. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as, my, uh, as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So first he says, as a concession and not a command. Uh, in other words, this is not like a unilateral command for all of the church that says, hey, marriage is out. Like, throw that sucker out. Let's all be single. Let's be awesome, right? And let's, let's go conquer the world. The reality is, is, is... <laughs> This is not a unilateral command from Paul here to all the church saying, hey, throw marriage out. Paul is well aware of God's good gift of marriage. Paul is well aware of God's instruction for us to, hey, be fruitful and multiply, hey, leave and cleave, all of those things, right? He's more than aware of those. But listen, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift. Paul, here, sees his singleness as a gift, as a gift from God himself, not a temporary season until he finally gets out of it, but as God's design for his life. And we need to stop and see something very profound here. All of us, we need to see something. All too often, the church does a massive disservice and I mean massive disservice uh, to all of our single friends. <laughs> Making you feel as though you're less complete than your married friends. Um, making you feel that you need to find a mate in order to be full and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, making you feel as though singlehood is this desert season as you're just waiting. It's like as the children just circled the wilderness, right? <laughs> waiting for that promised land. This is, we don't say this as the church, but my goodness, do we sometimes communicate this. And too often, churches, we even like seclude singles. It's like mingle with other singles in hopes that you'll stop being single, <laughs> right? It, this is absurdity. Um, church, I apologize for this. I apologize for this all too often. Um, this is, again, not said, but it comes out in the way we treat each other, the way we act, the way we do ministry. And, and I'm just, I apologize. And not only do I believe this to be tragic, but I believe it is exceedingly difficult to back up in Scripture. I mean, difficult to back that up in Scripture. The Bible seems to paint a very different picture of singleness. The Bible seems to paint this picture of usefulness in singleness, a gift, a use. And Paul is going to address this in a lot more detail later. Um, but it is clear, Paul does not view his season of life 
as this terrible waiting room where he's waiting for a spouse to complete him. That's not what we see here. Paul cherishes where he is. He cherishes where he is, where the Lord has brought him, and he sees the usefulness of his life, viewing it as a gift from God. And that's why he can say in verse 8, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good. It is good for them to remain single as I am. It is good. Single friends, do you, is that how you view your singleness? Do you see it as a gift? Do you see it as great usefulness for the kingdom of God? Is that how you see it? I pray that you do. And I pray that no one comes to you and well-meaning people make you feel as though you need a spouse to complete you because what the Lord has completed, we don't need to add anything to that. But, let me throw that but out here because Paul does here. Listen to this. Along with this gift comes a warning, a big warning. Along with this gift of singleness comes a warning. Are you ready? You're going to see that we're going to notice that thread that we've been talking about. Flee, flee from sexual. It, it just weaves its way, continues in right here. Listen to this. Remember, he says, you know, it is, I say that it is good for them to remain single in verse 8 as I am. And then in verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they shouldn't marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, let's talk about this one. Um, here's what we need to see, church. Uh, Paul is commanding, again, the church to flee from sexual immorality, calling us to realize sex is the gift of God meant to be given exclusively to a man and a woman in the context of the covenant of marriage. And any form of sex outside or before that is sexual immorality. And Paul offers this advice here, just very bluntly. He says, if you can't exercise self-control, if your passions are too much for you to handle, pray that God gives you a spouse. Because we're talking about fleeing from sexual immorality. Pray that God would bring you a spouse because sex, any form of it, before or after marriage, is sexual immorality. And again, he's reminding them, flee from that. Flee from that. Um, so this is true for those in the room who are married. Flee, right? We've talked about that. It's also true for you, single friends. It is true for you that I want us to be very careful here. There is no acceptable outlet for sex outside of marriage. Paul doesn't give us option B in this text. He could have. If there, was, if there was an option B, this would be a great place to introduce that. But he didn't. There's, there's no option B here. So what we have seen this morning is that God's design for human sexuality is fidelity in marriage. We've seen that, and I want us to add to that now. God's design for human sexuality is fidelity in marriage and chastity outside of marriage. And I want us to bring this closer to home, all right? Bring this close to home. Um, if you are single, you are called to chastity. And I know that is the least popular, least attractive, um, 
Most countercultural message you've probably heard all day. But hear me. If you're in, if you're single in your current season of life, then your calling in your current season is chastity. We believe that God has revealed his will for this season of your life, and it is chastity. Now, even saying that feels so weird in our culture. Um, We've been conditioned to think that chastity is not possible, that somehow we will implode. (laughs) Right? We're just going to, somehow, it's just not healthy for us to deny urges when they urge, right? Um, and I, it, it feels weird to even say this in our culture. But again, that's our culture talking, and we need to stop, and we need to ask, Lord, what do you have to say? Like, what do you have to say about this? What is your will here? And single friends, I give you the same encouragement uh, that I just gave to our married friends. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Run. Get out of there. Drop everything. Flee. Paul speaks of singleness as this gift of God, but if there is one way that Satan can cripple that, can cripple the usefulness of singleness in Christ, if there's one way he can just destroy that, stop that, it is through sexual temptation. And God has a plan to use you in truly incredible ways. The church needs you. Let me be very clear. Our church, right here, in this room, Stone Oak Bible Church, we need you. We need you, and that is why you have a target on your back. That is why you have a target on your back, and I encourage you today to examine your life and to ask yourself, how am I fleeing? What am I doing to flee well? Do I need some accountability in my life? Do I need some safeguards in my life? Do I need some support? Do I need some community? Do I need to establish some boundaries? What is it that I need? And again, I want to invite you, encourage you, that if this is you, it is important. Come and talk to your pastors, talk to your group leaders, talk to those around you who love you in the Lord. This is too important to arrogantly think that we can just, I don't need you. This is too important. The truth is that all of of us have this grand and all-encompassing task that is given to us. The same task that the Corinthians were given. Flee from sexual immorality in a sex-driven culture. That was what Paul was telling the church in Corinth to do. Flee from sexual immorality in a sex-driven culture. As a married person here today, flee from sexual immorality in a sex-driven culture. As a single here today, flee from sexual immorality in our sex-driven culture. The call here is the same. Flee. Run. Flee. We need Christ, the power of his spirit in church. We need each other if we're going to do that. I uh, want to bring us back to where we started this morning. There are so much confusion regarding 
sexuality in our culture, so much confusion about, confusion about gender and marriage and a whole host of other issues that come along with this. And as we continue to work through our text together, what an opportunity we have. The time has come and the time is now to remember that we have been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ to be a beacon of light and hope in a very dark and lost world. We have, I want you to think about this. We have seen, we have talked about this a lot. We have seen that we're in the middle of a sexual revolution, right? We have seen norms changing before our eyes. We have seen what was once accepted, now rejected. What was once rejected, now accepted. We have seen all of this playing out before our eyes. And, and although we as the church, bound by scripture, do not agree with the tenets of this revolution, hear me, we have to realize this. The collateral damage of the sexual revolution that we are seeing is going to be the people. There is going to be a fallout from this. There is going to be many people who are taken advantage of, who are hurting, who are broken, who are seeking truth and help and answers, and they're broken and they're confused. And in the wake, we're going to see individuals who are needing and crying out for hope. And our hearts have to break for this. We get the privilege to preach a message of reconciliation and freedom in Christ. That's your task. We get this opportunity, and we must understand, Jesus came and he died for sinners. He died for sinners. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He, he came so that the broken can have hope. He came so that the sick can be made whole. He came so that the lost might be found, reconciled, and loved. That is why he came, and that is our message. And this is a message, first and foremost, that we need to be very good at telling ourselves. You have not out the cross of Christ. <laughs> I can say with full and complete confidence and, and through the truth of God's word, that your sin does not exceed the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. No matter what your sin looks like, no matter what your past, no matter the extent of your present sin, come to Christ. Do not clean up first. Do not straighten up the house first. Go. Run. Go. Respond to the good news. This is the message to us this morning. This is the message to us. This is the gospel. This is to us. But church, this must be the message through us. It has to be. This is the message that we are given to proclaim to our community who we have very well established need to hear hope right now. Because Christ came for the sick and the broken and I want you to think about what that means, church. That means all of those faces that you see in lines at HEB. That means all of the crowds and the people in your office, at your school, all of the confusion. Christ came for them, and he didn't come for them if they clean up. He came for the light of the gospel, 
The light of the gospel is meant to drop right into the darkness of sin. The light of the gospel is meant to drop right into the middle of the darkness of sin in order that many would be drawn to Christ. We must realize, church, that that now is the time. If you're waiting for a time, now is the time. Now is the time for the church to rise up with this message, not to concede, but to rise up. Now is the time to proclaim the goodness of the cross of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that is found through Jesus Christ. Now is the time to make sure that we talk about Romans 5 at least once a day, that God demonstrated his great love for us, that while we were dead in our sin, Christ came and died for us. Now is the time. What a message and what a time to deliver this message. The time is now and the question remains. One, do we believe it? I hope you do. But then two, will you have the courage and the compassion to proclaim it? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your son, for your love, your forgiveness, your grace that we experience through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you forgive us? Forgive us of our sins and would you cleanse us because, Lord, we, we absolutely need you. Lord, now, would you heal us? Would you heal our marriages? Would you heal our lives and our perceptions of sex? Would you give us the strength to walk in the light of your word for your glory and for your kingdom? In the name of Jesus, amen.